Welcome to the Teacher Interview Podcast. I'm your host, Wes Creasel. I work as Director of Innovation and Instructional Support in Fullerton School District, and we are now in Season 4 of the podcast, where we get to know teachers better. Our themes this season are passion, drive, and determination. Join me. Today we spend time with Nikki Mayhar. She teaches 5th grade at Fistler School in Fullerton. We're live! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Nikki, thank you so much for st- uh, joining us here in the studio. And I know you had mentioned you were just uh, listening to some of the other podcasts uh, before coming in here. Uh, but this episode is unique. It's going to be totally different than the ones you've heard because it's about you. And I know we're going to talk about surfing. Okay. And we heard from some people that you also have something that you do in terms of service yes. with surfing. And so we're going to get into all that. Uh, but first, let's just jump in and listen to you. Tell us a little bit about your journey into teaching. What has that been like? Tell us about yeah. where you've been, where you've taught. I, I, this is my 22nd year. Wow. So my 17th in Fullerton. I started out in Long Beach. Okay. Um, let me preface that by saying I started teaching when I was five, so I'm only 27 <laughs> right now. Um, and uh, I did my first five years in Long Beach and then bought a house in Chino Hills and was not going to make that commute. And I interviewed in a bunch of different spots and um, got a, an interview with Jackie Pierce at Fistler. And uh, I, it, it, the idea of having that much technology was amazing. Right. To me, yeah. uh, coming from a district, you know, in a school, we had a computer lab with the big Mac computers right. that, yeah. you know, the kids had to share and you yeah. got to go once a week for 45 minutes, right. you know. Um, and then we had alpha smarts for typing everything, right. you know. Yeah. So I took the job and the rest is, as they say, history. When you first started, what what is something you remembered about the laptop and the technology? Oh, gosh. The first year, I the, the kids had to teach me. I mean, really, I I had really honestly personally had been a PC user, you know, Windows user in my personal life, although the transition to Mac was very easy. It was like, why would anybody ever use, you know, Windows? Macs are just drag and drop. And um, but the first year, really, I taught third grade then. So I've taught third, fourth and fifth. Most of my career has been fourth and fifth. And the third graders, you know, they were teaching me pages and they were teaching me iMovie and they were teaching me Keynote, you know, um, because wow. the summer training that you do as a new teacher and that just wasn't going to cut it, at right. least what they had back then. Yeah. So I just remember being in awe of what eight-year-olds could do yeah. on computers. And that was really back before all the kids had smartphones. It was back before, yeah. you know, actually, I don't even think we had smartphones. I started in 06. And I think I got my first smartphone in like 2009 or 2010. Yeah, yeah. So they already knew so much. What's your favorite student experience or project that you've used technology for? Um, gosh, you're going to ask me to pick 22 years. This is a long time to think, or 17. Um, well, I love, and I have used this in a variety of ways. Yeah. I love when the kids have a little bit of choice for some sort of like research. So I've done this with animal adaptations and I've also done this with like Native Americans. And I think I actually told you one time before about my map, my map link project yeah, yeah. where they like 
they did a map uh, colored like regions of Native American regions in the U.S. by hand on a map. And then we scanned them all in. And then they digitally added little icons to the map. And the icons were, they made them clickable links to um, files in their Google Drive, you know, folders. And it was like either a video or a slide deck or a little, um, you know, animation. Or it might have been, you know, a two-page kind of like a feature article or a report on something like the canoes that the Chumash made or, you know, the baskets that the the Paiute made or whatever it was. And so users could go to a map and click a link and learn about that that thing, that special thing about that tribe that lived in that area. So So layers of creativity. So the things they're linking to, they also made, right? So they also made those yes, artifacts. Yeah, and then they're picking what they're researching about. So my only criteria for that is choose something that is kind of unique about a tribe. Um, you know, all the tribes ate food. You know, a tribe fishing is not that unique. But, like, the importance of salmon for the Yurok tribe is, like, that is, like, it's life or death if they don't have salmon. Or the the – the, I'm going to say this wrong, the Tlingit tribe, you know, the Pacific Northwest Coast, totem poles, like they're, that's very unique for the tribes in that area. So, you know, they got to pick the thing they focused on and then they got to choose how they were going to share what they learned. That's awesome. That is such a great example. Too much to choose from because there's been so much over the years that I feel like I can not only hit a ton of academic standards, but the technology component and then just life skills, you know, interviewing somebody or um, even just coming up with questions to interview someone like what, you know, we're doing right here, you know, teaching them to do that kind of thing and actually speak to people and not text or email. And that actually brings us to a quote. And this is from Ryan, your, your husband. And he said, Nikki is unafraid to try and fail. So what is something that you remember in the classroom giving uh, an effort or something you weren't completely sure you were going to be successful at ahead of time. What's an example you can think of that? How's that quote apply? Yeah, to Yeah, I mean, teaching? I'm sure that there's definitely been some <laughs> epic failures. I mean, maybe not complete failures, but like, oh, that didn't turn out quite how I thought that was going to go. Right. Was okay, but um, maybe even better in some cases, but definitely not not what I thought it was going to be. Um, oh, gosh. We might need to circle back to that one. That's no that's a hard one. But that, that was nice of him to say. What's a piece of advice you might give to a new teacher who's uh, thinking about trying something new? Exactly that. Be unafraid to yeah. fail. Like, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. But failure is subjective, too. You know, like, and I tell this to my kids all the time. You know, there's that acronym, FIRST ATTEMPT IN LEARNING. And any failure, you're, there's still learning happening. You're learning what not to do or a step that needs to be added in or I need to change the pacing of this a little bit or, oh, I've got to teach them this step and this step before I jump to that. Or, you know, oh, we need we just, we just need this little piece before we can go there. So it's, it's all learning. And here's the thing. I get to start over fresh every August. <laughs> And sorry, kids, that that didn't work with you. It's going to be better next year <laughs> for the next year's kids. So let's take that topic or that question about risking and trying something new and not being afraid to fail and and turn it towards like working with colleagues or working with the staff. What have you seen over your years of being in education that is a, a strategy or a way forward in trying to build 
uh, that capacity in a staff to be unafraid to fail. I mean, I just think vulnerability, you know, and, and just being able to say, you know, hey, I, I had an epic fail this week. I did this and it completely, it completely flopped or which I'm not afraid to do because the judgment doesn't scare me. You know, I, I know in myself, you know, my motives and and what I put into something and and the success of something that I do is not a measure of my effort or my passion or how much I care. It's just sometimes circumstances. So it's kind of hard for me to understand and empathize with people that are afraid of of be so afraid of being judged that they're afraid of being vulnerable because I really wear my heart on my sleeve about pretty much everything. You know, so I, I would just say like it's got to start at your grade level and your PLCs, but I think too, like your your school side and your administration is a big part of that. You know, yeah. celebrating not only successes but failures that turned into learning experiences. Yeah. There's a great place to include a quote from Julian Lee, and she said this about you, and I connected it to that uh, vulnerability or risk taking annually. Nikki volunteered for the teacher talent show. Again, this from Dr. Julian Lee. She didn't hesitate to put herself out there for the community and to raise funds for the site. Fond memories of time spent with Nikki include talent show rehearsals and being silly during the performances. That include dancing. Tell me about that quote from Julian Lee. She's probably looking at, gosh, I don't know why Nikki volunteered for this. She's terrible at it, but she did it anyways. I cannot, I can dance like to like 90s hip hop, you know, music all day long, like at, you know, out with my friends, you know, at a at a club or at a wedding or at a, at a high school reunion, but right. like choreographed dance, I'm terrible at it. I tried out for the drill team in ninth grade, only knowing probably the first 25% of the routine. And of course I didn't make it. I mean, they were like, they laughed me out of that place, but I put myself out there like, hey, this is all I know, but I can learn it if you give me six more months. <laughs> So choreographed stuff, I'm actually terrible at. And so she's probably, that's probably a um, a little bit of a, a, you know, an earmark of that is that, you know, I may not necessarily be perfect at it. I may not really know what I'm doing, but I'm going to have fun with it and roll with it. And if it brings some laughs, then hey, it still sells tickets, I guess. <laughs> so are there um, videos of this uh, talent show that yes. exists? <laughs> yes. In fact, there's one called Dancing Grannies. We actually did it two years. We brought it back after I, like five years. I think I've heard of this one. And we, I mean, it's been What's, done by other people. But, but what did it look like at Fistler? Just walk us through it. Like what? Uh, we're playing bingo, quote unquote, you know, on the stage. And our activities director, like uh -huh. I was in a wheelchair for one of them. And she like wheeled me on. We're all in these like old lady dresses and wigs and glasses okay. with the like the beaded, you know, things that, you you know, to keep them around your neck. Yeah. And that she leaves and says, OK, you know, I'll be back after bingo. And then we have a boom box and we turn the boom box oh. on and everybody kind of gets up and starts dancing. dancing. It's like their own, like a single or a duet. or And you know what's okay. really funny about that is that there's quite a few principals in Fullerton that were not principals at the time. Tracy Jarina, <laughs> Hannah Lim, right. that have been in the Dancing Grannies Act. Right. That's awesome. Yes. They were lots of fun. So that so the whole purpose is selling tickets, right? Yes. You're doing something that people are going to enjoy, talk about. Yes. And it's really, it's really just to benefit the school. Yeah. You're like being vulnerable just to... To yeah. support students. Right. That's and I amazing. don't, I think we stopped calling it the teacher talent show 
Okay. For some obvious reasons. (laughs) Some teachers are very talented and they can play the guitar and sing beautifully. We started calling it the teacher variety show. Okay, nice. Yes. (laughs) That's a nice switch. (laughs) That's great. I love that uh, Julianne put that that in there, especially the dancing. Uh, That's a great memory. Um, okay, so she also says that you have a um, nickname for her. Yes. I what ca- is that? Mm-hmm. I call her Onni, which is Korean for older sister. Okay. So in Korean, you know, I just say sister to my siblings, but in Korean, it's older sister, younger sister, and they're different words. So when she was teaching, <laughs> yes, she's a few years older than me. So I'm 27, she's 30. Okay. Um, yeah, she's a few years older than me. So when she taught at Fistler, she taught sixth grade. Yeah. And I taught either fourth or fifth. And I, I actually, um, I've had both of her girls in my class. Aww. Her younger daughter was in my homeroom. Her older daughter was uh, in my room for a part of the, the day during a fifth grade rotation. So I knew her as a parent. I knew her as a colleague. I knew her as a friend. And it's just, it's a little That's rib. Great. It's a little rib. That's great. But I still call her I that like to it. this day. I like it. I'm going to go to a quote from uh, Kim Benaroff, principal at Fistler now. Um, because it's related to that vulnerability and just being, you know, putting yourself out there for the community. Um, the first her response or first thing she said about you is Nikki is passionate about helping others in service. Just those, that's like seven words, right? Six, seven, eight words. What do you, when you hear that, that somebody says that about you, you're passionate about helping others in service. What do you think of? I mean, first of all, it, I have a lot of pride in that. Kind of, my eyes are getting kind of watery over <laughs> here. Um, I mean, I think I think about you know students and families at Fisler, and then also you know things outside of Fisler that I do that um, you know I I do that are related to my passions, related to education in some ways. Yeah, tell um, us. This is a perfect opportunity. Yeah. So, well, like, so educationally at Fistler, um, I've been a student council lead advisor at Fistler School. I actually brought student council to the school. Mm. Um, I came in year three at Fistler. Is this leadership? No, it's different. Different. Okay. Yeah. So leadership existed in middle school, but there was nothing in the K-5. Got it. Got it. And I had done student council in Long Beach at the school that I was at. And so, um, you know. Fisser was only three years old when I came. So it was, you know, it was pretty new and they yeah. didn't have this, yeah. you know, this program. And so I, I wanted to start it. And with Jackie Pierce's blessing, I started it. And it started off really small, just kind of like, you know, what can we do to, 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 to change the school, to improve the school? And it was, we would make posters and we would adopt another classroom and do announcements. And it was really basic stuff. And over the years, it's evolved. And so like this year, for the first time ever, we have something called a kindness squad. Mm. So it's our third, fourth and fifth grade representatives. Okay. Two per class. Okay. Um, so we have three third grade, three fourth grade and three fifth grade classrooms. So it's yeah. 18 kids. Yeah. Um, and uh, I created this this kindness squad. I just wanted to spread kindness. It's just something I feel is important in yeah. our world to do. And so um, we do a lot of different things. We do kindness to our campus and to our earth. So we have this, the um, stewards of the earth program where our kids volunteer at their lunch to pick up trash oh great at the lunch tables um or at recess and then we have our student spotlight where students um any adult on campus can nominate a student for the kindness squad and then student council um i 
put all of the um, nominees, I take the names and the genders out. Yeah. And so I put he, she, and X's for names. And yeah. so the student council kids have no idea who these kids are. And they right. just listen to the story that the teacher or the adult wow. told about that child. Yeah. And then we vote. And so wow. we had a winner in December, and we just today surprised our January winner oh. with a little goodie bag and a certificate. And we have the those little rubber bracelets. Yeah. We have several colors, and so January was light blue, so yeah. they got a kindness squad bracelet. Oh, that's great. And we have bright pink shirts, so we do a Wednesday wave every morning. We're out there in our pink shirts waving hello oh. to people coming on campus. I bet you that's a hit. So it is. So a lot of parents are kind of funny, though. They drive in, and they kind of, like, don't want to – they kind of want to, like, look away. <laughs> like, what, why are they waving to me? But I think they're starting to get that we're just out there to say hi and bring a smile to your yeah. face. And so that was actually mentioned by um, Kim Benera. So I'm, I'm just going to read the her um, info about that. After COVID, our elementary school student council took a pause, and then you took that on this year and created a wonderful leadership program for our students. Not only restarting the program, but creating a focus for the students of being um, stewards of leadership for our campus. She has a kindness squad and created a kindness recognition. Yeah. So that's that's awesome. Yeah. It's, that's it's, so it's good. It's fun. It's, it's cool. Yeah. Kids are into it. Yeah. Uh, tell me about you sort of hinted at things outside the school. What? Tell me about the surfing. Tell me about these the ways you serve yeah. in there. So I actually... Um, my best friend is the executive director of an organization called Adaptive Freedom Foundation. And okay. it started in Hawaii, and she brought it over here and asked for my help. And what it is is we have paddle boards that are adapted with – they have wheelchairs on them. Mm. And they're oh. they're outfitted like the outriggers in Hawaii with, yeah. like, the, Aka, the Iakos and the Amas that, to balance it, you yeah. know? Because, obviously, putting a wheelchair on a regular sup, it, yeah. it's probably going to tip over. Yeah. So we have these, these – um, Almas, they're called to balance them. And um, I mean, we can put up to 500 pounds on our boards and take people with all kinds of disabilities. Um, We can put people on their own in their own wheelchairs on to our paddle boards and secure them. And we go paddle boarding. And I mean, we're not taking like, you know, eight foot waves on the north side of Huntington right. here. We're right. in, in harbors. Yeah. Like Dana Point has a beach yeah. called Baby Beach. And yeah. there's it's in the harbor. There's yeah. no waves. Right. Um, or we'll do um, Mother's Beach over in Long Beach. Nice. Um, and so I got involved with that. And yeah. that really opened up my heart to people with disabilities. Mm. You know, I'm a regular ed teacher. I'm not a special education teacher. Um, and... Of course, I've I've had kids in my class that have that have varying you yeah. know uh, special needs and yeah. things like that, but the severity of some of the physical disabilities that some of these parents and a lot of them are parents bringing their children mm. and being an educator, right. you know these kids would come yeah. to paddleboard with us and yeah. just tear my heart wide open. Mm. And so that got me involved in just more adaptive sports for right, for people right. with, with physical and mental you yeah. know disabilities. Um, I volunteered with an organization called Operation Surf for a few years. They no longer have events happening mm. down here in Huntington Beach. COVID kind of kind of killed them, and we lost our event director. But um, it was for veterans, mm-hmm. wounded military from Afghanistan and Iraq. I and think I've seen pictures. Um, yeah. Of this. So it's, yeah. Tell me, how does that work? Uh, so it's it's all volunteer led, and mm-hmm. it's there's an application process for the participants, and they have to have served in Afghanistan or Iraq, mm-hmm. um, and have some sort of um, either PTSD or physical you know injury. And you know we've had participants that were blind, um, mm. missing 
up to three limbs, um, deaf because of you know IEDs mm-hmm. and things you know uh, right. exploding near them. Um, there was a guy that came with us that uh, his chute didn't work uh, mm. when he was in the in the uh, Air Force and he had to eject and mm. and his chute didn't work the way it should have. Mm. And so he had we had a lot of traumatic brain wow. injuries, people wow. that suffered with that. And the volunteers, along with instructors who were also volunteers for a week during this program every day wow. in Huntington Beach yeah. from eight o'clock to four o'clock. We were out in the water, and I became the shoreline safety uh, leader. So I was on the shoreline coordinating. So when they would come in, you know, we would help them get safely off their board. If they needed a wheelchair, we'd get the beach wheelchairs over to them, help transport them into that, you know, get them back down to paddle back out under the the channel that's created under the pier and kind of an easier paddle. Yeah. Um, Sit and have lunch with them. We would do debriefs at night. It was just, it was amazing. Yeah. Tell me about the debriefs. What were some of the things that stood out to you when people talk afterwards about the experience? Well, I think the biggest thing that resonated is just how literally some of these men and women prior to surfing and uh, like the healing of the ocean were like wanted to commit suicide. I mean, Mm. they share, there's actually a documentary on Netflix called resurface. It's all about operation surf. It's amazing. Mm. And they can tell the story way better than I can. But uh, Martin, one of the guy that's, uh, that's interviewed in there is, has become a very close friend of mine. He lost three limbs Mm. serving with the British Royal Navy, um, both legs and one arm. And, lives in Cornwall, England. So, you know, he knew of surfing and it had gone out as a kid, but wouldn't really have called himself a surfer. And he got involved with Operation Surf and now he's a surfer. And it literally Mm. has saved his life and it helps his mental health. And, you know, um, just so many, I could countless stories of of men and women that I've met that say like surfing changed my life. The ocean is so healing and it, it, it changes and transforms their outlook. And you surf. I do. So there's the service and you're connected to that maybe first because of surfing. But just for you, tell me like when, how old were you when you learned to mm-hmm. surf? And I was 16. Okay. What was that like? Um, I, it was super unexpected. I was not really a beach kid. I was raised by a single mom. She wasn't really into the beach. I, I remember taking the bus with some friends down to like boogie board once. Right. My dad was not a beach person. Like I really didn't spend much time at the beach, but I got my car when I graduated high school. Uh-huh. Uh, I was only 16. I got my Whoa. first car. <laughs> I did turn 17 in August after graduation. <laughs> got my first car. Got out my Thomas guide. I'm aging myself a little no, bit. That's okay. I know what you're talking Mapped about. Mapped myself to the Huntington Beach Pier, took a book and a, a beach towel, and yeah. just went down to, to oh, read. Yeah. And I met three girls that surfed. And I was like, okay, I got to do this. This looks so fun. And wow. so I met them the next day back down what? there. Okay. One of them is Amy, the director of Adaptive Freedom Foundation. We're oh, still friends gosh. to this day. Wow. Yes. Wow. So she taught me how to surf. Oh, awesome. Well, she taught me... I don't know that I actually really, really knew how to surf for about the first 10 years I surfed. <laughs> I just kind of bobbed around out there and yeah. did a lot of paddling and a lot of falling. Yeah. I didn't really start to get decent at surfing or fair until I started longboarding. And that mm. actually didn't happen until I met my husband, oh, wow. um, which was about 14 years ago. Yeah. And I transitioned from a shortboard to a longboard. Yeah. And it, it was a better fit for me. It's just more yeah. cruising. Yeah. and more mellow and which is a little bit easier yeah. when you as you get a little older too. Yeah. 
That's awesome. Yeah. What does your husband surf? Yes. Is that? Yes. Did you meet surfing? No, Amy actually introduced us. My best friend um, actually kind of introduced us through Facebook. Um, Because he was a surfer and would be somebody that I could hang out with and had some things in common with. Yes. So surfing was a was a a common thread that kind of, you know, binded us a little bit. Yeah. So another. um, So your husband, Ryan, he commented about you being passionate about volunteer work. Uh, He mentions drains to ocean yes what is that yeah that's a, actually it's an, a new organization i'm sitting on the board of okay. um, vice president it's a have you heard of surf rider yeah it's similar surf rider um we are focused on uh education and which is what i love um and making sure that we're educating people about how to minimize pollution and to organize cleanup events not just at the beach, but mm-hmm. you know, watersheds right. in your own parking lot, at the beach, at the park, at the yeah. lake, whatever, yeah. um, to uh, help it avoid draining to the right. ocean. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. How how much of this, um, or how does how do these volunteer service opportunities that you do outside school, how do they? trickle in to the classroom like are students aware of these things yes do you bring them in what what do you what do students how do they react when they find out that you're doing these other things because sometimes students think you live in y- and sleep and eat yeah and drink, you know every, yeah, every, if you ever, everything happens at school and right. you don't have a home outside of your yeah. classroom yeah What's um, their reaction? i think they think it's cool yeah they um and some of them actually like i i've had kids want to do beach cleanups with me mm. and i actually do That's try cool. to do a beach day with my kids on a Saturday during yeah. the school year with their families, um, so they know we have a beach themed craft. Like they know there's no no they know I'm a surfer. They know I love the beach, but where it comes into the classroom is you know like education about reducing, reusing, recycling. You know that weaves into the classroom and in, into student council. You know through the school we had a water bottle recycling program for a couple of years um, pre COVID, where we actually had containers all around campus for kids to put their single-use plastic water bottles in. And then student council would recycle them, and we would donate half and then have a little party with half to celebrate. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So, And I've had um, Zoom calls or, you know, FaceTime calls, Skype calls uh, with some veterans, with some friends of mine. um, And they have disabilities. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times the kids, they're not used to being around a lot of people that have a lot of physical disabilities. You know, we don't right. we don't have a special ed program at Fistler School yeah. like they do at some of our other campuses. So we don't have, you know, a, a, a population of students that are wheelchair bound or that, you know, have noticeable physical disabilities. And um, I think it's so important for them to be exposed mm-hmm. to. Yeah amputees or to people that are blind or to you know individuals who might have trouble processing because they have a traumatic brain injury and so i call on my friends and i ask them to to do these video calls with my class and the kids i tell the kids a little bit about them and so that they can come up with some questions Mm -hmm. that they want to ask i I vet the questions a little (laughs) bit um and then um, we do these interviews and the kids are always they talk about it for the rest of the year after that happens they talk about you know they'll ask how is Derek or how is Martin or how you know whoever by name and ask how they're doing and and they get there's a vested interest in it that's great there's a 
not, I don't know if it's a word, but a sense as we're having this conversation, like a lot of my conversations on the podcast are kind of about classroom, classroom, classroom. And then, and I also have this hobby, but there, there seems to be a more like holistic or integral kind of sense of like these things kind of seep into your, your classroom, your students know about them. I knew about them. Um, I think Dr. Bob was a, a fan of your work with the surfing. Yeah, he came to Operation Surf one oh, year. Him and Hilda Sugarman, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. So it seems like there's just a sense of this is who you are and it and it's a it's a part of your, your personal life but also your your work life. Yeah. Which leads me to another quote. Um, and this I don't think we've heard from Vanessa yet. So this is Vanessa Sanchez and she mm. talks about um, you going above and beyond at Fistler to um, make uh, being there an enjoyable experience for all. But then she mentions the social committee, which is, oh yeah, what is that? That's new for me this year. Um, <laughs> we've always had it, but a couple, well, the teacher that was in charge of it for years retired oh. a couple of years ago. Okay. And then uh, the teachers that had taken it on were like, this is crazy. I can't, it's, you know, they have new babies and it just, it's just too much. And so I was like, oh. Oh, I guess I'll try it. Um, So it's just, you know, we organize, like if somebody loses a a family member, Mm. we'll, we'll, um, you know, send flowers and a card or um, we do like special, like our next event that we have, we're going to have on national tortilla chip day, we're having a salsa contest, like a salsa recipe, you know, not like dancing salsa. We've already, we're not going to do the salsa (laughs) dancing. I'm not going to be able to learn those steps. Um, And then we will have a potato bar, you know, and, and things that they've done in the past. Like on Friday, the the teachers that were in charge before would go get French fries from McDonald's and they were just in the lounge for the teachers on, on their lunch hour. So just kind of just bringing some jovial, you know, fun and, and trying to help with like the bonding, you know, on campus. That's great. Yeah. That's fabulous. It's fun. I'm not counting the number of committees and councils that you're involved with, but it's, (laughs) I it's have a, a hard time saying no, Wes. It's a lot. Okay. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that's 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 fair. Uh, do you want to say anything about that? Is that something you've always known about yourself? Yes. Okay. Um, I, I've gotten a lot better. I don't say yes to the things I really don't want to do. So the things that I'm doing mm-hmm. really are the things that I want to do, yeah. you know, and the things that I believe will either help me to grow as an individual or as an educator um, or that I feel I can bring something to the, you know, I can bring something to it, you know? Um, So, you know, when I say yes, it's, it's because it's what I want to do. So I I don't begrudgingly say yes to things. The things I don't want to do, I I will happily say no to. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. So when, when uh, there was an opportunity to go into social committee or social council and you said, uh, (laughs) if you're listening to the podcast, she was very slowly raising her like (laughs) index finger to volunteer. What, what is it about that that you were stepping forward, but also you hadn't done it before? Uh, well, yeah, I didn't know on the back end really what was going to be involved. <laughs> and see, when I brought student counsel to Fistler, nobody knew what it was. So whatever mm. it was was going to be better than what it was before, right? <laughs> right. But when you're stepping into something and uh, you don't really know what it took to run that, yeah, it's yeah. do I? How big are these shoes I'm having to fill? Right. Are they like you know Kareem yeah. Abdul-Jabbar size? Yeah. You know shoes. Uh, see, I just aged myself again. That's okay. Because okay. I, I don't even LeBron James. I should have said that. I should have <laughs> led with that. Um, I actually don't know how big either of their feet are. They might be very small. 
I think you're that was probably a bad safe. analogy. I think you're probably safe. <laughs> in the but yeah, it, 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 and again, I, I raised my hand kind of so like, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. But then at the same time, it's like, you know what? If I fail, hmm. I fail. Like all they can do is go, hey, Nikki, this year social committee stunk. You did a terrible <laughs> job. And then I'll say, okay, next year you can do it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a perfect response. Uh, we'll invite you in, uh, into exactly. help. My um, shoes are not that big to fill. We are getting close to time. This has okay. just flown past. Yeah, I has. can't even believe it. I'm going to make sure I'm going to scan our quote list. We've talked about surfing. Um, Operation Surf. Oh, so Julianne Lee mentions um, reading and writing workshop. Oh, so, yes. So tell us a little bit about that. Kind of define it if I'm pretty sure everybody in Fullerton yeah. listening knows, but just describe it like from your point of view, what is it? Right. And then why is that something you're enthusiastic about? So workshop is, um, it's not a program. It's not a curriculum. Mm -hmm. It's more of a philosophy and a way of teaching. And it really is a meet your kids where they're at. Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of like uh, you, you offer them a strategy, you know, through a mini lesson. It's a tool that they get to put in their tool belt, you know, mm -hmm. for when and if they need it. Um, and then you, you, they're reading in their own books of their own choosing, mm -hmm. um, or, and they're writing on a topic of their own choosing. And we do have genres, obviously we have standards to right, hit. Right. So we have, you know, we do informational text. I do poetry unit. I have a historical fiction unit. We have a characters unit. So there, there are units and they have to have a book. For example, in the characters mm -hmm. unit, they got to be reading a book that has characters. You know, can't be reading about <laughs> snakes. Right. Um, and in our informational unit, you know, can't be reading Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. So they, there's guidelines, but they can literally read or in writing, you know, write about whatever they want. Like right now we're doing informational feature articles and they all pick their own topics to write about. Um, and I knew about writer's workshop from my work in, I, I taught at a young writer's camp at Cal State Long Beach for a few summers. And mm. they have a workshop model as well, mm. which is like, you know, it's the stages of writing. It's the writer's process. It's yeah. not it's not prompt based writing. It's 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 choice. You know, they yeah. have a choice. Yeah. Um, the, the format might be, you know, you're going to write an essay or you're going to write a short story, or, but it can the topic can is open. Um, and then Coatsen came to mm -hmm. Fissler mm -hmm. and I applied. Um, I, I see there's a fail moment. I actually applied to be the mentor, the coach. Okay. And I was not selected. Okay. Stephanie Guppy was selected. Okay. And I'm so grateful <laughs> that she was because I got to walk through that journey with her as my coach mm. and learn. And I know she learned a lot as a, a coach right, as well, right. but I got to really hone my craft as a Reader's mm. Workshop teacher. And I have to say, prior to Reader's Workshop, I actually was actively looking for jobs outside of the classroom. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's a huge statement. Yeah. I was just yeah. kind of, I had lost that, that drive and that passion, Yeah, you know, a little bit. And, and there were some personal circumstances in my, in my personal life that I was kind of not a real happy person in my personal life mm -hmm. for a while. Um, and, uh, that affected you know, mm. I, I couldn't always leave it at home. You yeah, know, yeah, it's tough. The best you try. Yeah. Um, but Reader's Workshop really was like a shot in the arm. It, it just mm. it rejuvenated my passion. And I, I get to sit next to kids every day in, in reading. And even if I don't actually, like, teach them something in that conference, I'm learning something about them or I'm sharing mm. something 
about me yeah. that helps me connect. And, yeah. you know, circling back to what you were saying about, you know, me bringing my passions and my hobbies and things into the classroom. And, and it's not like, oh, I have my classroom and I have this other life. Something that changed, and I, I don't really, can't pinpoint a, a win or a exact moment, but I started being more vulnerable with my students and being mm. being a human, you wow. know, and and bringing in those personal stories, appropriate, of course, but yeah. and and getting to really getting to know them, you know, really yeah. talking to them about their families and what they did this weekend, and really listening, yeah, not just asking for the sake of asking, but really listening, and started doing morning meeting and started. You know, just really trying to connect with them um, in the classroom, out on the playground, before school, after school. And I think that that's why I love bringing that, those parts of myself in is it helps me to build a better connection with them. Hmm. And so Readers and Writers Workshop does that, too. And I do a math workshop as well. Yeah. Um, and I just love it. I mean, curriculum-wise, standards-based-wise, report card-wise, whatever you want to call it. I get to check off all the boxes, right? Um, but it's really tailored to each child yeah. and really meets them where they're at and gives them what they need. Yeah, that, actually, uh, that's something Julianne uh, said, um, and I was scrolling to tr try to find it. She just dropped this one sentence at the very end of the first question she responded to is like, what are you passionate about? She ended that with also Nikki takes the time to get to know each and every student. And I could have overlooked it because it like everything else was about Operation Surf and, and like your passions and like it was very um, like it kind of grabbed my attention. But then when you're talking about sitting next to students, reading and writing workshop and and not always having to teach them something, but you're listening and learning. And then I remember this line that Julianne said, and I think that's a very it's almost like um, it's just this nugget of wisdom that like maybe I think teachers need to hear that like that what you do get yeah. to know students because until you do that there's so much that you you don't know what is possible or what they might need or yeah. what they might offer the classroom. Yeah, yeah, I mean, 20 plus years ago when I was in the credential program, nobody ever talked about getting to know kids. It's it's happening more today with SEL and because of right. the school climate and all of these tragedies that are happening in schools yeah. and and things like that. It, it is it is more like there's been so much more research done about, you know, kids will learn better when they feel connected to their teacher. Right. Duh. That yeah. was no different than 20 years ago. Right. But I wasn't taught that. And right. so honestly, yeah. for probably the first 12 to 15 years of my career, I did what I was taught, which was teach the standards. Right. <laughs> I yeah. taught the standards. I didn't teach the kids. Right. I taught the standards, yeah. you know, and I can admit to that and not, yeah. you know, that's just the that's just the way things were. I did that whole sage on the stage stuff that, right. you know, we, we all did so yeah. long ago. Yeah. You know, now I finish the end of the day sometimes and I'm like. Gosh, I hardly even like talked to the whole class. No, but I talked to this table and I sat next to those three different kids and right. I ate lunch with those kids, you know. And yeah. at the end of the day, I can check off my role sheet and be like, I had interactions with 25 of my 34 kids. Right. Like real authentic interactions. Right. Not like, you know, Johnny, sit down. Yeah. You know, or, or Jane, put same, that away. <laughs> yeah, or saying the same thing to everyone, right. which is not personal and individual. Right. Yeah. That's amazing. I, I really, I, I think that's so valuable. And uh, yeah, 
I think I'd like to come visit your class. That would I would love be to cool have to you come visit my like class. Like the workshop model and see you engaged in that with your yeah, students. That'd I'd be love cool. That. That'd be really cool. Well, thank you so much. This Thanks has been for great. Me. All right. Thanks, Wes. That's a wrap. Yay! <laughs>